Okay. Um, we are right now in the middle of Masachet Tubot. Masachet Tubot is made up of a lot of segments. Uh, and for instance, in the third parak, we took really almost a vacation from Tubot when we dealt with the Knas for Naramu Rasai and everything that went from that, including a lot of attention to Kamle Bidrabamine. And then, uh, really towards the beginning of the fourth parak, we really got into the essential issues of Tuba. And at the end of the parak, we dealt with it directly with all of the Tnaik Tuba. All of the other things that come along with Tuba that are assumed in, even if you don't write them in, your Chayab to take care of them, Tuba Barim Dechrin, Branukvan, etc. I want to go back to basics. And what I'd like to explore with you together today is where this whole thing starts. And I want to talk off of text for a minute, and then we'll get into the text. Um, a man marries a woman. Miles Tov are very happy. What, what changes in each of their lives as a result of that move? Now, I'm going to break it into two parts. A man betroths a woman. Not what we call engagement today, but betroths. It makes kedushin. And what changes for each one of them as a result of that act and then subsequently, a man marries a woman. Today, we do them, you know, one in, at the same time. But in times of the Mishnah, in the times of the Tanakh, they were all done a long time apart. What changes for a man, what changes for the woman at each one of those stages? Go ahead. Well, the woman's usher to any other man. Okay, good. So the minute that the that the uh, kedushin happens, kedushin erusin, she becomes asur to everybody else. Is he impacted in a similar way at all? No, not really. He no. is. He no. is because he now is asur to her sister, to her mother, to her daughter, etc. In other words, by him becoming uh, a a. a, a attached to her in Erusin, there are some Yisurim that hit him, but you're right, it's not nearly as powerful. Okay. Um, is there any obligation? Because all we've talked about now is restriction. He's, he's responsible for the ketubah. He's responsible for the payment of a ketubah. Um, at what point? And that's what's tricky here. He betrothes her he now has an obligation to Bob, but not really. What does he have? But keep going with that, Alan. Um, he has the, the liability. For the, baseline, right? for the baseline amount. Right. So he has the liability for the baseline amount, but it's not due yet. When does it become due? Right. When they get married. When they oh. get married, then it well, becomes an active debt, which then becomes collectible upon death or divorce. Right. What about everything else in the Kubah? Nichse Molog. So does he eat the perot of her property when they're betrothed? Does he have to feed her when they're betrothed? No. 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 Right. So in other words, the, the relational affiliation does not exist yet when they're betrothed. 
that transactional limitations do exist. Okay, very good. And by the way, his transactional limitations don't get in, increased at marriage. He's still usher to her sister and her mother and her daughter, but he's not usher to other women because the polygamy technically is not usur. She, who became usher to every man in the world when she accepted Kiddushin, is still usher to every man in the world when they got married. Very good. So the only thing that marriage does is that it increase it, it creates and increases a, a transactional relationship, a relational obligation between them. Now, what are the relational obligations that kick in at marriage that did not exist before? Sustenance. Sustenance. He has an obligation to feed her and take care of her. Good. What else? That's baseline. We're going to get to that. What else? Say it again. Yes, the clothing. Okay. So along with sustenance, we will add in what I'm going to call basic needs, which we'll call clothing. And marital relations. Right. And good. And then there is an obligation of maintaining marital relations. By the way, these are all obligations that are on him towards her. Interesting. Because the first two we get, they're financial, and he's the one who's in charge of the finances, which we're going to get to in a second. But the other one is intimacy, and yet that obligation falls on him. Now, what other obligations does he have towards her? We've been seeing them in the last few days in the dot. In the wild, wild, in the wild, wild west, protection. <laughs> Meaning what? Put that into the Gomorrah's terms because you're right. Not exactly she's protection, but something kidnapped. else. What? If she's she gets kidnapped, kidnapped, he has to ransom her. And that was common then. Not common like every day, but it was not a crazy thing. Not, not unheard of. What else? Her kids. What? He has to take care of her kids. Right. So that would be a transactional piece that they would arrange in advance. Mm -hmm. He'd marry her on condition that he would be right, cetera. Uh, you know, make it may take care of the kids that she brings into the marriage. <clears throat> what else? So, Benan Nukvan and Banin Dechrin, all of those other pieces of the Tuba and the promise commitment that if she, be, she becomes widowed and the estate supports her and all that sort of stuff. Okay, very good. Now, where does all that come from? That's what I really want to ask. Where does all of this stuff come from? Not the betrothal and prohibition, etc. That's right there in the Torah. Where does all of this stuff come from that is the relational obligations between them? They're not mutual, but the relational obligations between them that kick in at marriage. Where does that come from? I'm going to give you three choices, <laughs> and, and you can tell me what you think. Choice one is the Torah mandates the whole thing. Choice two, the rabbis mandate the whole thing. Choice three, this is what society did, so that's what we do. Now, I know that choice three sounds very odd, but it's not so odd, because there's a lot of things that become part of all sorts of quote-unquote life, life cycle, not just events, but life cycle things that are based on the norm in society. I'll give you an example. Um, how long 
do we mourn in the primary level of mourning for any one of our relatives? One week. One week. Shiva is kind of the, although you're right, the first day is to write, et cetera. One week. Where do we see one week in mourning? No, um, the David for Avshalom. There's something in the in Nach, something in way Nach. before that. They mourned for Yaakov for seven days. So you see, there's already a seven day mourning period. How long is the celebration of a wedding? Seven days. Seven days. Where do we find that? That's in uh, Yaakov and Yaakov and, and Rachel and Rachel. Right? Yeah, correct. Malish was so that means that we find that the Torah or Halakha Moshe Sinai or our practice adopted existing practices in. So you can make the argument that all of this relational commitments that husband towards wife, wife towards husband, are all based on certain societal norms that existed. You can say the Torah went out of its way and mandated it. You can say they're all the Rabbanan. What's the answer to the question? Where are they from? The Torah. Both. Both exactly. Right, okay. Some of them, uh, Bill. I was waiting for you to say it depends. Some of them <laughs> are Doraita. Some of them are Drabanan. Now, I'm gonna now ask the question: What's the difference? Like, who cares if they're Drabanan or Doraita? Either way, you got to do it. And by the way, Drabanan may be that they started as societal things and got brought in, or maybe the Rabbanan proactively created them. Uh, we're not even going to go there today. I just want to point out. That that doesn't settle whether it's number two or number three. But for right now, we'll say some are right there, some are Durabanan. And I'm going to ask you, what's the difference? Who cares? And it sounds like I'm making up a question, but you're going to find that there's a huge debate about what's right and what's Durabanan. And you got to ask, well, the people who are debating it, who cares? Why do you care if it's right and Durabanan? What would you think? Well, if it's a deraita, then it's much more strict. We're much more... therefore what? In practice, what? In the case of a suffix. Okay, but now, when does suffix... How does suffix work? So you're right, but let's clarify this. We're a little bit off topic, but it's a valuable, essential thing. We have a rule that you just quoted, suffix deraita lechumar, you just alluded to, suffix deraita lechumar, suffix derabanan lekula. When you have a safek about a law that's Doraita, you're stringent. When a safek about a law that's Durabanan, you're lenient. So give me an example of that. Give me an example of how that plays out in practice. Uh, if you forgot, if you made a bracha, you don't make the bracha. Okay, uh, good. Okay. So I'm not sure if I made the bracha or I'm not sure if I'm obligated to make a bracha on this thing, then I don't make the bracha, right? Okay. Good. Another example. If it's um if it's um um question whether or not this non-wool small begot is chayavan tzitzit, I might say, look, non-wool begadim might be drabanan, safek drabanan lakula. Okay. But notice all of those issues and anything you can think of, I promise you, about Safekta Banan, Safekta Raita are all going to be in the area of ritual law. And ritual law, what 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 are, what is the Khumra and what's the Kula? The Khumra is do the thing or avoid the thing. The Kula is you don't have to worry about it, right? Repeat this tfilah or not repeat this tfilah, 
I repeat Kriyat Shema because you said you dive in Mark early and it might not have been Zman Kriyat Shema. So fakes, we'll say it again. Right? That's So it's going to be either actively do it or you don't have to worry about it. Here's the problem. When you say that I have a financial obligation to somebody, and now in the case of Safek, what's going to happen? What's a rule about Safek Mamon when it's not clear that I owe you any money? Possession. Possession. Does it matter if it's the right to the Rabbanan? Doesn't matter. If my obligation to you is a loan, which is Doraita, I borrowed money from you, I owe you money, Doraita, but it's unclear whether or not I actually owe you that money. You can't prove that I owe it, and I claim I don't. The onus is on you. We don't say suffix right to the homer and I have to pay it. So I will ask the question again, since everything we're talking about here is almost everything you're talking about here is financial. What's the difference? It's still right to the Ramanan. Either way, if there's a doubt, if I have to do it, then prove that I owe it. So why do we care if it's the right to the Ramanan? So I'm going to throw out another suggestion. What happens if there's a couple? That um, that for the first two years of their life, because of school, because of work, are going to be living long distance. And they love each other very much, and they want to get married. They've been engaged for a long time. They want to get married. Uh, and they have elderly parents. They want to get married before their parents won't be able to celebrate. But for the first two years, he's going to be in Japan, and she's going to be in the States, or whatever it might be. Um. What theoretically could they stipulate about their marriage? It impacts on our topic. Oh, the uh, the relationship. The uh... what could they stipulate? Oh, you say we're going to get married on condition that there are no obligations between ourselves, so long as we're on different continents or however they want to word it, right? Which means, what are they doing? Oh, they're modifying the, Very the good. terms. Very good. Keep saying it. They're modifying what? Good. They're modifying the standard terms of the ketuvah. Exactly. Or, Very yeah. well said. They're, they're they're sort of rewriting the relationship. Now, if you say that these obligations are doraita, you might be less willing to let them do that. And you might say the Torah mandated every marital relationship has these things as essential. If they're rabbinic, then maybe there's more room to be lenient. So I just want to bring up where we would play with this. Okay, enough introduction. Let's get into it. Believe it or not, and I know you do believe it because so often we find this is the case, the, the source text for the issue is not in, in an area dealing with marriage. The source text in the issue is a pasuk about an amaha ivriya. What's an amaha ivriya? A man sells his minor daughter as an indentured servant, right? It's almost like what we saw Kiddush Emiun. It's very likely a, a circumstance where some guy has a bunch of kids and uh, he needs somebody in the house to kind of help with the kids or help with the cleaning. And there's a guy who's got a daughter and the guy is very poor. So he sells his daughter as an indentured servant. Okay, it's legit. We understand it. It's not good, because I'll say it's a terrible thing, but it is what it is. The man sells his daughter as an indentured servant, and then she reaches majority. What is the master obligated to do? One of three things. He has three choices. 
The guy who bought her, he's obligated to do one of three things. Free her. Well, say it again? Free her. Right, that's choice number three, correct. What's choice number one or two, which are related? Sorry for the pun, but they're related. That's a double pun, actually. Either he can marry her, or we can or have his son. son marry her. All right? Now, if he frees her, he frees her, which makes the most sense in the world. He bought her. He probably paid an amount of money based on the amount of years that were anticipated till her majority. And she worked for those three or four years. And now she can go free. But he has the right to marry her. I, whether she gets a say in it, whether her father gets a say in it, that's another interesting question. Is it a right or an obligation? It seems to be a. It seems to be something in the middle. It's a very good question, because on the one hand, it's not an obligation, insofar as we would say that he is is uh, is delinquent in his in his actions if he doesn't do it. What he may not do is to keep her. As a servant and unmarried, that he can't do. So it seems to be more of a quasi-obligation with an alternative, which you don't usually find with obligations, meaning you're obligated to do one of three things, which, by the way, you understand the difficulty about that phrase? You're obligated to do one of three things. Mm -hmm. That means each one of them is not an obligation, but the group is an obligation. All right? When you come to a red light, you're obligated to do one of two things. Well, I'm sorry, when you come... To, when a red light turns green, you're obligated to do one of three things. What are they? Go straight, no. go right, or go left. You have to do one of them. Right? So same thing here. He has the one way he can fulfill that obligation. I'm going to say it your way, Al. It's very good. One way he can fulfill that obligation is to, is to marry her. The other way is to marry to a son, which is a related form. And the other way is the default, which is to let her go free. Very good. Now what does the Torah say? Im acheret ikachlo, which means... This is building off the previous pasuk that if he takes her as a wife and now he also marries another woman. Now, typically, I want you to think about this. Typically, given the context where there is a servant girl who's been in the house for a few years and now he decides to, quote unquote, make her an honest woman, he takes her as a wife. And then he also marries another woman. What's very likely the social status of the other woman? Or she's less than. What? Higher. She's less than. She's probably she's... higher. She's probably oh, a regular probably. woman who's marrying in. She's not a girl who got sold into poverty. She's probably from a wealthy enough family that he wants to connect to. All right? So now watch what the Torah says. If he takes another woman, he may not diminish her. And these three, I'm not going to translate it. These three words. <coughs> whose share and may he not diminish what do you think the uh the former the former slave servant so that's the way we would read it not the way by the way most we shown him read it not all that he must make sure that this girl doesn't turn into a second class wife the minute you make her a wife you've got to treat her with all the rights of a wife and just because you marry another woman from upper cross society doesn't mean you could demote this girl. You cannot take away one bit from her things that are coming to her. So reading it that way, and by the way, even reading it the other way, it'll still say the same. What does that tell you about what the Torah assumes to be the base obligation of a husband to his wife? 
base obligation without conditions, without exemptions or anything else. Those three things, whatever they Those mean. Three things, whatever they may mean, clearly the Torah says that's what every man is high to his wife. And even if the wife came through this relatively uh, uh, impoverished uh, method or backdoor method, it doesn't matter. He's obligated to take care of her share, and he cannot diminish from it. Now, by the way, he can't diminish from it tells you something else. And again, I'm sticking right with the words of the Torah. He can't diminish from it, can't take away from it, means there's some sort of a base amount that's there. And he may mm -hmm. not go lower than that base amount just because he took a second wife. By the way, that's a valuable, important thing to know. How many men is a woman allowed to be married to at one time? One. 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 How many women is a man allowed to be married to at one time? From the perspective of the Torah or even Rabbanan? Uh, well, the, the Muslims say four, but I don't know. Oh, what what, what's all about? <laughs> well, it, it's no real, there's no limit, but it says 18 somewhere. That's for the king. Oh, for the king. The king. Oh, okay. All right. What's the actual limit? I'm, I'm going to say it. You're going to be surprised the way I say it. The limit is you can marry as many wives as you can afford to support. That's that's the bottom line halakhically. A man is not allowed to get married unless he can support his wife. Now that might be through student loans, which will be forgiven, of course, or that could be through, or that could be through parents supporting. In the meantime, it could be all. But unless the man can support his wife, he's not allowed to get married, and he can't allow to marry a second wife. So that means here. The this guy has married the slave girl, and he's got even though she was a slave girl, he's got a base obligation, which is somewhat financial, if not fully, it's not fully, but some sort of an obligation towards her. And that obligation rides through. And if he marries another woman, he can't diminish. All right. So we learn two things. There's a base obligation that every man has towards his wife called Sherk Sutan or now. We don't know what they mean yet. And those those base obligations also have baseline numbers, which he's not allowed to give less than, right? Good. Now, what do they mean? So these psukim are not there for us to read. These psukim are reference psukim because Chazal and the Rishonim reference these and many other psukim that have these words in him, actually only two of the words, to try to prove what they mean. Let's look at the words themselves. Which of these three words has a very clear, unambiguous meaning? She'er, ksut, ona. Which of those has an unambiguous meaning? Doesn't ksut refer to clothing? That's all it means. That's right. No. Can't mean anything else. Means clothing. So what does that mean? The husband may not diminish from her clothing if he marries another woman. What does that mean? Um... No, if he buys her a new coat every winter, he has to buy her to keep doing that. Okay, good. But now, Sharon, Sharon, what you're saying is that he can make up whatever standard he's got. He's just got to keep a same standard for both wives. All right? No, just for the first wife. The second wife, he has to establish it later. She's, and it never says, lo you grow for the new wife. It's, it's, it's only for the first wife. Which, but, but does that mean it's up to him to decide what that standard is and he just can't go down? Yes, essentially. Okay, then why wouldn't a smart guy marry the slave girl and not give her anything, and that way he won't have the problem? Uh, Ketuba. Ketuba. 
<laughs> we don't know about that. We all know about this. Don't don't use later information for the earlier. If if he's allowed to establish unilaterally whatever clothing she gets, then why does he just start by giving her nothing? And then that way he won't ever have the problem of exceeding it. So I'm going to argue, counter you by arguing that suit implies that there's some basic clothing allowance he's obligated to give her. We don't know what it is. But some basic one that, and therefore, the Torah says, even if he marries another woman, he can't diminish this one's clothing allowance. Okay. What are the other two words, and by the way, you might have seen it because all the psukim reference either Sharon or not. Nobody talks about suit because it's a no-brainer what it means, but not really. It's not such a no-brainer, as you'll see. What does She'er mean? She'er. We actually saw it a lot in Yavamot. She'er seems to mean flesh. Ish, ish, I'll call She'er B'Saro. Look at source four. Ish, ish, I'll call She'er B'Saro. Man may not have relations with his own kin. So she'er b'saro means flesh, flesh of my flesh. Okay. What is ona mean? So ona could be argued to mean a season or a time, but that's very strange to say he may not diminish her flesh, her clothing, or her time. That's a weird phrase to use. And again, clothing is the only one that's clear. So let's run down to the Mechilta. All right, we'll start with the Midrash Tanaim. Everybody see source eight? Sheira, you'll see it? Source eight. All right. Um, okay. Sheira. The Mechilta says, what's She'er? Mezonot. What's Mezonot? Food. 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 There's a food obligation he has to give. V'chein hu omer. And we quote a pasuk in Michav, Okay, Ksuta. What does the Midrash say about Ksuta? Which means? What Ksut means? We all know what it is. Very simple. And now what about Onata? What's Onata mean according to this? Zu Derech Eretz. Derech Eretz, by the way, is a phrase that has a lot of different meanings. What does Derech Eretz mean? He should he should behave toward her with respect or whatever, but but onatat could could that not come from inui from torture? Well, we're we're going to take a look at it. Let's start with Derek Harris. What does Derek Harris mean? The phrase Derek Harris. Bill, what's the answer? What does Derek Harris mean? It depends. Depends on the context. Very much. <laughs> if your parents are yelling at you, you're a little kid because you behaved in an unrespectful way. Derek Harris means respect, right? You stand up for a teacher, whatever it might be, right? You don't interrupt your parents. Derech Eretz, right? Okay. That's not what Derech Eretz usually means, though. What does Derech Eretz mean, for instance, in the think the thought of Shamshun and Fal Hirsch? Torah in Derech Eretz, right? What did he mean by that, which was a watchword for early modern orthodoxy? Torah in Derech Eretz. What did he mean? Doing the right thing or something like that. The way of the land. Kind of. Increase that, but you're on the, on the right way. Secular. It means Derek Eretz means being part of society. Torah in Derek Eretz. So he was picking up off in the Mishnah Perkei Avot Yafet Talmud Torah in Derek Eretz. 
But Derech Eretz in that read didn't mean respect. That Derech Eretz meant the way of the world. Derech Eretz means a few different things, and one of the things Derech Eretz is is a euphemism for sex. <laughs> a euphemism for a conjugal relation. Right? Now, how do I know that Onata means Derech Eretz? That is from the story of Shechem and Dina. And it says, And so it uses the same word. And it says, therefore, you see, it means having relations. It's not talking about the issue of rape at all, just the relations. And this summer, I argued in a shear that Dina was never raped, but that's a shear by itself. All right. Now, Rabbi Yoshia and Rabbi Yonatan are stars in the school of Rabbi Shmuel. So Yoshia says, She'er is food, suit is clothing, Ona is conjugal relations. He has to make sure that she is satisfied in all three areas, and he takes another wife to make sure they're both satisfied. Rabbi Yonatan Omer, differently. She'era ksuta means ksut shuhu nofel she'era. She'er means flesh. So instead of she'er meaning flesh like feeding you meat, she'er means her flesh. And therefore, ksut is now defined by she'er, meaning you have to buy her clothes that fit her. If she's a young girl, you don't buy her old lady clothes, and vice versa. All right, so therefore he says she'er and ksut are not food and clothing, they're clothing, and she'er defines the clothing, which, by the way, means according to Rabbi Yonatan, the obligation of Mizonot is de Rabbanan. We're going to have more fun with this as we move along. All right. What's the onata? You ready for this? Onata, which we said is conjugal relations. Remember, what does the word ona, the word ona as a noun mean in Hebrew? It means a season. Seasons, yeah. Fine. Don't give her winter clothes in the summer and vice versa, which means there's only one obligation here. The obligation is ksut. And the ksut has to fit her share and be appropriate for the ona. And that's all there is. Now, mizona minayin. Now, this, by the way, often happens with Abishur sure and Rianotan. Rianotan says, So, how do I know I'm obligated to give her food? Amarta kalvachomer. You ready? Things that are not necessary to live. Meaning you can live with skimpy clothes. He still has to give her nice clothes or proper clothes. So certainly things that are vital for life, which is food. Obviously he can't, get, can't diminish it from it. I want you to see where he's going with this. How do I know that he has to maintain conjugal relations? Remember, he said she'er means her body. So ksut, therefore, means clothing that's appropriate for her body. And ona is the season, which means all three words are about clothing. How do I know he has to, has to feed her? Because kavachomer, if he has to clothe her, he has to feed her. How do I know derech eretz? How do I know relations? Amarta kavachomer. Umad v'ayim shalom niseit alehem mitchila in limanam so certainly those things that she did not have before she got married, he's not allowed to, to withhold. The things that she got married for, she got married to have intimacy. 
Certainly, he can't keep it from her. Now, notice what happened. What did Rabbi Yoshia say the three obligations are? Food, clothing, intimacy. What did Rabbi Yonatan say? Clothing, clothing, clothing. And then what did he turn around and say? But by a Kavachomer, I'll prove the other two. Now, what's the status of something inferred by a Kavachomer? That's serious. It is the Oraita. Oraita. We hear clear. It's the Oraita. He's saying, if those things, I'll explain what I mean. Not in every case. If I have an obligation to Oraita, and then I prove via Kalvachomer something even more obvious, that's still the Oraita. I'll give you a quick example from off the page. The Gemara Brachot says, I can prove. I, I know from the Torah, about two weeks ago, I know from the Torah that I'm obligated to bless God after a meal, correct? Right. I will prove to you, Kalvachomer, that you have to thank God before you. Before the meal, Which is, if you thank God when you're full, Kalvachomer, <laughs> you thank God when you're hungry. Now, the Gemara rejects that, because the result of that would be that the brachot before food would be Doraita. And the Gemara rejects it and says, no, it's the Rabbanon. So in other words, a kavachomer on a thing in the Torah becomes doraita, which means, by the way, Rabbi Yonatan and Mashiach agree that all three things, clothing, food, and relations are all doraita. The question is how you get there. Not so quick. Rabbi Omer, she'era zoderach eretz. Rabbi says she'er is actually intimacy. Remember what we saw? The whole parsha of talks about she'er. Coming, be attached to a body. Mm-hmm. Ksuta is what it means. And onata elum is onot, which means Rebbe says, I agree with Rebbe Yonatan that each of the word means one of those three. I don't know this Kavachomer thing. Each one of them means one of the three, but I have share and onat switched is what they mean. Now, by the way, when you end up looking at this Brita, what's your conclusion? All three of these hachamim agree, which should mean that everybody agrees, because that's all we got here. Everybody agrees that your obligation to feed your wife, your obligation to clothe your wife, and your obligation to maintain intimacy with your wife are all do'oraita. Right? And the question just is, how did we get there? Which word means what? Did we get it explicitly? Or kavachomer? Right. Okay. Now, you take a look at the mechilta derashbi, you will see that this is remember the stool of Rabbi Akiva starts out the same way. Sheiraz, Parnasah, that's food. Ksut is Ksut. Onata is Terecher, it's good. And the same Pasuk. Now, Rebelezim and Yaakov Merak, it's a different Pasuk. Rebelezim and Yaakov Merak. Sheirah, Ksuta, Lufia, Sheir, Tank, Ksut. Look what he says. Sheir and Ksut means you give her clothing based on her body. Right? And Onata is you give her clothing based on the season. And that's the end of it, which means according to Belazim and Yaakov, for the first time we hear a voice that says, how many obligations does a husband have towards his wife, Mida Araita? One. One, clothing. He doesn't add in all the Kavachomers and everything else. Okay, very good. <clears throat> now, let's take a look at Rashi. What is Rashi in Chumash? What does Rashi say? Rashi says, She'ira Rizonot. Relations. Straightforward. Very straightforward. Exactly like the first opinion in both Midrashim. Nothing new there. 
He won't be the only one to say it, but get ready for a little bit of a surprise. The word she'er, as you've seen, is a little bit of a complex word. We're not sure what it means. And the word ona is certainly a complex word. We're not sure what it means. Watch this. The Rashbam comes along and says, She'eram is onot. Ksuta, that's clothing. Onata, watch what he says, is Beit Dira. This comes out of nowhere. What does a Beit Dira mean? Housing. 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 Lefihapshat Lashon Ma'on. He says, you know what Onata comes from the word Ma'on. What's a Ma'on? A Ma'on is a house. What's the first word of Hasan Torah? The last aliyah that somebody gets in reading the Torah, Ma'ona Elohe Kadem. Right? Ma'on. Ki ha-mem ma'on, kimo mem makom, and shamalon. He says the mem is a prefix in ma'on. And the word is really on, ona, and therefore it means residence. All right? Mazon, uchsut, umador. He says, you know what the three obligations to write are? Food, clothing, and a roof overhead. Which very critical thing did the Rashbam erase? Except, you know, he could say the Tashmish would be sub suborned under Puravu. It's a separate mitzvah. But he, separate didn't mitzvah. he didn't say that. And by the way, Puravu, unlike Ona, Puravu is teleological. Puravu is aimed at a goal, which is get to have a kid. Ona is not. Ona is just sexual pleasure. Right? A person has an obligation to Ona if his wife's pregnant. Or if his wife is postmenopausal, still has the obligation to own not, right? Or if she's using birth control, whatever it might be, still has the obligation to own not. So that it's it, it it won't solve the problem. So notice that the Rashbam, what did he take out of the equation? For the first time, nobody took it out of the equation yet. What did he take out? Tashmish. He took he took the Tashmish out, he took intimacy out. To be fair, Wilson and Yaakov seemed to have taken it out, but this is the Rashbam. Constantly trailblazing, not concerned. All right. So now let's look at the Ramban. We're not going to do the whole Ramban. The Ramban here is a vital Ramban. But the Ramban, again, in Chumash, says, he first quotes Rashi, always does that, by the way. Ramban always starts by quoting Rashi, showing deference to Rashi, right? And he um and he says the uh and but then he says the following: Amru al Misha Amarkach. Whoever is the Rashi's quoting, the Gemara commented and said, that Tana thinks Mizonot is Doraita. The Tanya, he quotes it. says, if you pay attention to the Sugyot in the Gemara, which we've seen, they all follow an isolated outlier opinion. Do you remember that line? We say Mizonot was a Takanat Rabbanan Quid pro quo for Masayadaim. Remember that? Her wages go to him, so therefore his food goes to her. It's the Rabbanan. And so the Ramban says that the whole position that She'er is Mizonot, and therefore Mizonot is Doraita, is all based on a single opinion. But the mainstream opinion is that Mizonot is Rabbanan as part of a large web of transactional obligations and mutual obligations, reciprocal obligations, um, that the Rabbanan made up, the Rabbanan created, right? And he says as follows, 
Lama yes, Kim Mizonot Sheer. He says also, when you look up Shat, just the words. Why would the Torah call Mizonot Sheer, which means flesh? Shavasar. Rashias Kir Lachmat should have said Lachem. Lachem, by the way, means what? Remember, Lachem in Tanakh means what? Food. Food, right? So say Lachma. Why say Sheira? It's a weird word. For instance. Alright? So therefore he says that. This Ramban is vital. Sheir always means flesh. Meaning getting attached to flesh. That's why relations are called Sheir. What's Sheirit? The remnant. Which is kind of the end, the remnant of the flesh. Meaning, my wife is flesh of my flesh. I'm quoting Adam Rishon. She's like the remnant of my flesh. Meaning, my flesh is my own body, and she's a continuation of it. Right? Right? That's what relatives are called. Sheir. And he quotes a bunch of psukim. Right, and so he then says, um, da, 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 here we go. Vine sheira kiru b'sara. So what's sheir? Sheir means being attached to her flesh, meaning when you have relations, you have relations in an intimate way. I'll explain what that means. Uksuta, what's ksuta? The Ramban says here something revolutionary. It's great. Ksut mitata, meaning bedclothes. Ksut <laughs> means bedclothes. And he brings a proof. Remember the law of collateral? When you take collateral from a poor man, what are you obligated to do? Return, Return. it to evening because it is his bedclothes. He's simlato lo'oro. Right? He quotes that Pasuk. To have relations with her at the time of love, etc. Which means the Ramban says She'er, Ksut, and Ona are all about intimacy. Now, let's think where the Ramban is getting this from. What's driving this commentary? What is this, the, the background? What's happening in the Pasuk? A man is marrying his Amaha Ivriya, and then he goes to marry another girl, and we tell him, What is the biggest concern that a wife will have when a man takes a second wife? That she'll be abandoned. That she'll be abandoned in what way? Intimacy. Intimacy. That's the big concern. He's obviously wealthy enough to support them both because then he can't marry, otherwise he can't marry them. The problem is he's going to ignore her. And where do we see that? We see that explicitly in the Torah in a pasuk that happens to be here also. Because it's it's critical. Look at pasuk 3. Lavan catches up with Yaakov. Remember the scene? Yaakov runs away. Right? And uh, and and uh, Lavan catches up with him. And Lavan yells at him and screams at him, and Yaakov screams back, and then Lavan comes and checks through and doesn't find the gods, and then all of this big scene, and finally they make a breach, they make a separation pact, and what does Lavan say to Yaakov? 
Im ta'ane et benotai. May some take an oath that he won't do this. Im tikach nashim al benotai. You may not ta'ane my daughters, and you may not take other women, meaning other wives, over my daughters. That's the oath. What's how these things related? Im ta'ane et benotai means you may not deprive them of intimacy. And why would that happen? Because you'll take other wives. And you'll pay more attention to them and you'll ignore them. So this is what's driving the Ramban. He's saying, let's think about the whole story. Here's Nebuch, this girl, who got sold into this household. And she worked there for a few years. And the master took a liking to her and he marries her. But then he marries a proper, upstanding wife, from his perspective. And he spends all of his time with her. And he abandons this girl. And now she's all alone. She's got food, she's got clothing, but she's got no, no intimacy. And so the Ramban says, all three of these words are about intimacy, which means the Ramban says, Mizonot, the Rabbanan. Ksut, the Rabbanan. All of it's the Rabbanan. And the only thing the Torah actually commands is, pay attention to your wife. Make sure to, to, to keep her happy in, in, in the area of romance and, and intimacy. Okay? Um, okay. Now, parenthetically, I found something interesting in the commentary of the tour. I have to, just one little word, a little plug about the tour. And I know that tonight's shear is much more a almost a perushe tanach shear than, than anything else, but that's what we're dealing with. Is you're, I'm sure you are all familiar with the commentary of the tour on the Torah, which is very popular in some circles, and it's commonly called Bala Turim. And the Bala Turim, which is printed in most editions of Mikro Kudalot, is a very brief, typically acronymic commentary, which is filled with gematriot and rashetevot and sofetevot and all sorts of little language tricks. And people look at it, and it definitely has the aura of, sorry for saying it this way, cutesy. Like, oh, what a cute little gematria. But the tour, the Russia's son, Balaturim, or Yaakov Balaturim, 14th century Spain, wrote a comprehensive commentary on Torah, which is not well known. Not the not the little Balatorium, but a con it's called Perusha Aruch. My teacher of Samet exposed me to it, and as a result of that, I fell in love with it. And the tour is operating really out of the tradition of the Balea Tosfot, and the school of Tosfot in their commentary on the Torah was quite innovative and insightful. Watch what he says. She'er, Piresh Rashi Mizonot, Katav Ramban, Achikamanda Marmizoto Raita. He quotes the Ramban, that, that, uh, and he quotes, then he quotes the Ibn Ezra. Now watch what he says here, right? Um, uh, he takes exactly the Ramban, okay? Um, the husband has to maintain intimacy and be physically connected with her. What is that talking about? We'll see. Ksuta is ksut mitatas. He says exactly like the Ramban. Ksut refers to bedclothes and sheets, etc. And onata is the actual time of intimacy. Now, where is this all coming from? Because if you recall back on Daf Memzayin or Memzayin Mchet, Rav Yosef mentioned a Persian custom. I don't know if you remember this. A Persian custom of hu bevigdo bevigda. Of having intimacy while being dressed. And, you know, only that which is necessary is exposed. And he says, if a husband says, I'm going to have relations with you like that, 
she can go to Beitin and demand a get and folk tuba on the spot. He's not fulfilling his obligation. His obligation is not just a technical act of coitus, but of intimacy. And intimacy means kiru basar, flesh on flesh together. Right? The, the, the Rav David C. Hoffman here is a long piece where he goes through the different mefarshim and, and, and how they look at... Uh, and how they look at um, at these obligations, um, and um, and he explains why ona would mean that. He also take a look, writes, and I'm not sure why he wrote it in English. He did, or somebody else did. But that derech eretz is is leishtemalia, right? Like cohabitation, right? And then he he does touch upon this whole thing about ona being maon, possibly. In other words, the commentary is all over the place. So I want to end by looking at the Ram at the Rambam. All right. And for right now, looking at the Rambam. Um I'll say end because even though this is really a fascinating topic and worthy of another shear, I think we need to, do need to move on to some of the the, the financial side and the more the Mara side. But Shinosea Dam Isha, take a look at the Rambam here. Shinosea Dam Isha, meaning when a man gets married. All right. Um, no matter who he's marrying. It doesn't matter if she was born Jewish or converted. Immediately becomes marriage, not betrothal. Becomes obligated in 10 things. Meaning the 10 obligations he has towards her. And he gets four things from her. Meaning financial. Hasara, what are the three, what are the ten things that he gets that he has to give her? Torah. Three of them are Doraita, Elohain, Sherak, Sutava, Onata. And then he says, Sherak Mizonot, Suta Kemashma, He right rules like the first opinion in each Braita, which is that Mizonot are Doraita. Which by the way means the oh, okay. has to contend with the sugya that seems to indicate that Mizonot are Durabanan. And then he says, Vashiva Sofrim. There's seven that are Durabanan. The Khulan Tanai Baitinhain. They're all Tanai Baitin, which means, as you remember, that if he doesn't write it in, they're there anyways. All right. One of them is the Ktubah. The rest are Tanaim of the Ktubah, which is Lirapota, which means he's obligated to do what? Take care of her medical. Liftota, the redeemer, takes God captive. The Kovra, if she predeceases him. It's obligated to bury her. It's, he predeceases her that she can stay on the property as long as she's a widow and doesn't get remarried and get fed by the, by the estate. That if they have daughters together, their daughters will be fed from his property if he dies until they get married or betrothed. This is the male children uh, will inherit her tubah beyond, above and beyond the regular split of the Yerusha. All right? Now, what is it that he gets? That her wages go to him. She finds a metzia, belongs to him. Any property that she owns, he gets the residual as long as she's alive. And if she dies while he's around, he inherits her. 
And he is first in line in the Yerusha system. Okay? Now, watch this because the wages issue is a thorny issue. Now, notice the way he words it. Because remember, the Rambam is taking a position that Mizanotar da'oraita. The Ramban's big challenge against that was, then why does the Gemara use the phrase tiknu mizonot? The rabbis formulated that he feeds her quid pro quo for something else. If, according to you, it's Doraita. So the Rambam, you know, eyes uh, threads that needle as follows. Maaseya deha isha In other words, that her wages are compensation for Mizonot, which is Doraita. Now, by the way, who cares? You understand, he has three of his obligations, financial obligations towards her, and she has three obligations towards him. He says, oh, A goes to A, and B goes to B, and C goes to C, and who cares? He has to give her A, B, and C, and A, B, and C of her goes to him. So who cares what's lined up with what? Watch. That's why it's important to know this. I don't want to get fed by you, and I don't want my wages to go to you. Notice, the woman says at any point, not just at the beginning, at any point in the marriage, I'm billing six figures right now, and I eat $50 a week. So you know what? I'll feed myself, and I'll keep my wages. Right? Shominla. We allow her to do that. We don't force it and her wages over. In other words, the way the Rambam formulates it, and it's not the Rambam, this is the Gemara, but the way he formulates it is since the obligation of the husband to feed her is offset by her wages going to him, she can forego the Torah obligation of feeding her and say, not interested. And since the rabbis established that my wages go to you to, to make up for the food, my, my wages will stay with me. And I'm going to bring home $30,000 a month and my $200 a month, uh, a month food bill, I'll take care of myself. Not a bad deal. All right. But if let's say the husband says, I won't feed you and you can keep your own wages. We don't listen to him. Now, notice the way the Ramam says it. Because there might not be enough. The husband can't unilaterally come and say, listen, you feed yourself from your job. What if her job doesn't pay enough to feed her? But I'm surprised because what the what should the Rambam have said? The Rambam should have said, we expect, because his obligation of Mizonot is Doraita. Of course he can't say, I'm not going to feed you. And your wages can take care of yourself. It's a very strange thing. You understand? In the Ramban's world, this works. Because Mizonot is Dorabanan. But in the Rambam's world, where Mizonot is Doraita, it's very strange that the husband's inability to withhold food and say, take care of your, use your own wages, is only because there might not be enough money to feed her, but not because he doesn't have the right to forego an our obligation. It's a very strange thing. Um, and the truth is, we can go on further. We're actually already at at, um, at our hour. 
And I do want to open up for questions, but I'm just going to ask you to bear with me for one more minute because there is a Magid Mishnah we got to see. The Magid Mishnah, who is one of the earlier uh, commentaries on the Rambam, uh, the Rambam said those three things are the right. Again, that's where we're, we're hopping with here. Right? One of them is Mizonot. Magimisha says the Rambam is taking sides in a machloket tanaim and perk narashim at the top. Pasak Rabbeinu Kedibar Amir Sheira Elu Mizonot. He ruled like the one that interprets Sheira's Mizonot, where we started the Sheira from. The Chainter game Unklus. Suddenly you see the Magimisha starting to get involved in Parshanut. Sheira is Ziuna, like Mazon. The Chainter Shrashim and Ferusha Torah. Aval Haramban Katab. By the way, do you see how popular this Ramban is? This Ramban shows up all over the place. Billboards, newspaper ads. This Ramban is very popular, right? Feminist, yeah. Serena Williams quoted him in her retirement, right? <laughs> the Ramban says clothing and food is the Rabbanan. He says, one thing I don't get about the Ramban is how the Ramban can say clothing is the Rabbanan. Because what's the one word that we said at the beginning this year is crystal clear as to its meaning? Suta. Sut. Suta. And what did the Ramban say? And by the way, the Torah favorably quoted him. Suta means bedclothes, not clothing. So I don't get it. How can anybody say clothing's not the right? It's right there. Suta. And he says, Because remember we saw at the beginning? There was a machloket about she'er, mizonot, not. But everybody agrees. And oh, now what's that? But everybody agrees. Ksut is ksut is ksut. Just that dressed Gertrude Stein. Ksut is ksut is ksut. Zell. Right? <clears throat> remember, you remember the reference. Um, the old Shikol Tani Manis Karim Shavim is everybody agrees. Venera Li, Shema Mizonot, Hemidivrahim. He takes the position of the Ramban that Mizonote de Rabbanan. Even though there's two Tanaim who say to Raita, Mikomakom, we have a tradition, Yaakov's Mishnah, his learning was, was distilled and perfect. Right? Okay, and nonetheless, he said there's a whole school. Out there that agrees with the Rambam that Mizonot Now, I posited at the beginning of this that the difference of, of whether it was the Oraita or the Rabbanan came down essentially to the question of how stringently are we going to hold on to this, hold him to the obligation uh, if he wants to make a relate a condition or some kind of stipulation to get out of it. Surprise, surprise, surprise! The Rambam turns around and says Mizonot is Doraita, and nonetheless. If the woman wants to opt out of Mizonot and keep her own Masaya Dayim, that's fine. And that we get, because even a schut the Torah gave me, I can forego it. Any gift coming to me, I can forego. But what was really surprising was when the Rambam said, he does not have the right to say, I will not feed you and you can keep your own wages. And the only reason he gave was because her wages might not be enough. Not for the reason we expected, which is that Mizonota Doraita. Which means there's still a lot of room to try to figure out how the Rambam understood the obligation of Mizonot and how the Rambam understood 
the entire matrix of relationships and Maseya Daima and Mizonot being quid pro quo and how that all plays out in that context.